Good. All right, I'm recording. Testing, testing, not sad, testing. Hello, and welcome to Brewing. Adam, did you speak during my intro? And welcome to Brewie Nights, a nationwide beer and movie podcast. I am your host, Andy Griskoviak. With me, as always, my trusty sidekick, Adam Glab. Hey, guys. How's it going? It is warm as hell here in Illinois. I don't know how LA is today. Likewise. Very, very toasty. Um, we got our house beer expert, Dalen Toza. My intoxication travels across the internet. Mm, mm-hmm. I hate him. And our resident nerd, Nick Margellos. Hey! Tonight, we watched 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast before, but we very much love the first Cloverfield, so this is a big deal to all of us, and we've got a lot to talk about. We have a very special guest with us, somebody that we've always talked about getting on the podcast, uh, but he lived out of state, but now we are here with him, my brother, Joe Griskoviak. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get into the plot of the movie and everything, uh, why don't you guys tell us about what you're drinking over there tonight? Yeah, tonight in Chicago, we're drinking Fun Sponge. That's Fun Sponge by the Salamoth Brewery in Naperville, Illinois. Yeah. It's a really light, it's a, it's a Belgian white, it's a wit, but it's kind of got a more of a light, summery tone to it. It's not a lot of alcohol. It's really drinkable. Really good. It's and tasty. We're loving it here. Yeah. Right on. We've got a couple different beverages over here. Uh, the California beer I grabbed is Great White. Uh, it is a Belgian-style white beer. Um, super good. I actually had it a couple years ago, and we found it at the store today. And it's Lost Coast, right? It is. Yes. It is. Yeah, Lost Coast. Nice work, Dalen. Love that beer. Yeah, um, had that one. Very, very tasty beer. Uh, we also are drinking Bud Light Platinum. It's that great yeah. Bud Light flavor. But the original craft beer. That's right. Um, it's just like a Bud Light. And <laughs> I've had about five of these and two Coronas today, so I'm uh, doing well. Um, and then we also have a very special beverage that we will talk about later uh, in the podcast. Let's jump in to 10 Cloverfield Lane. Now, yeah. If you're one of our 20 listeners, I'm going to put this out there. Typically, we're very loyal about spoilers, but this movie is kind of one big spoiler. So, sure. in even discussing plot, we're going to, I mean, there's just going to be spoilers. There's so much to talk about here. If you haven't seen the movie, listen to us later. Watch it first. But yeah, we'll see the movie. See the movie. We'll I mean, see it. We'll okay. See it. So, um, let's. let's what were you going to say? I just want to chime in and say the three of us here in L.A., we've all seen it before. Twice. This is a second viewing This is viewing the second time that myself, Andy, and Nick have seen it. And Dalen and Adam over in Chicago, they are newbies to this experience. It's true. Very new. The Chicago screening was to fresh eyes. Yes. And we shouted. We were freaking out. Um, so, so I want to start light. I want to start with some questions I got here. Uh, first off, initial thoughts, just observations based on the viewing. We all seem to have a very fun time. For the second viewers and for the first time viewers, loud reactions. Uh, it was it was so fun. It, this is a fun movie. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it, the movie tells the story of Michelle, who is recently heartbroken, uh, leaves, leaves a loved one behind. Um, to kind of just go find herself or whatever when she is in a in a very horrific car accident and wakes up locked in a cellar with John Goodman and John Gallagher Jr. Um, and she doesn't know where she is, but they're both claiming that there is a cataclysmic event happening outside. And so the story is, you know, whether or not to believe them, 
Um, so some light, some light fare to start it off. Um, first off, to paint the picture, it's a very, the bunker is this vast uh, sort of homey bunker with sort of many different tunnels and hallways and stuff that seem very industrial. Um, uh, side note, did you guys catch the cameo in the beginning? I, I want to say it was the phone call, but I don't know who the it voice is. was. Mm-hmm. The voice on the other end of the phone is Bradley Cooper. Hey. No way. <laughs> Love it. It is. Um, uh, what would be your go-to bunker snack? I saw some very good treats in there. Well, I think I saw oh, some I fruit know. roll-ups, and yes. I would eat just entirely that throughout the apocalypse. You would have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> it would be rainbow colored, <laughs> and I would love it. I saw Pedialyte. I don't know. I just feel like that's what I'd start with. I'd start with the last resort. Dog? What'd you yeah, say? I tried sauce. It sounded like he had the best sauce on his spaghetti, so I want some of his spaghetti and sauce. <laughs> yeah, best sauce, sauce this side of the bunker. <laughs> uh-huh. this, this side of the ground. Nick, how about you? Bunker snack. Good bunker snack. Uh, how long does beef jerky last? A while. I was going to say nearly forever. Always. You're good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, like homemade beef jerky that yeah. I prepared like a month before the I bunker. rotting pigs that are out there. Uh, Whoa, it's uh, ham jerky? <laughs> that poison pig jerky. Some chicharron, some fucking pig skin. Um, oh, this fun is fun. Petty, that. <laughs> you got to be the sick pigs. Fun fact: yeah. deer jerky is actually an aphrodisiac. So, take that, that for who? For ladies. All right. Fair. This movie, um, filmed in complete secret. For a while, it was known that uh, all that was announced was Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman were in a movie called The Cellar, uh, and that was kind of it. No one knew. I mean, it just kind of was a, at the time just like a drama. Um, uh, trailer was released two months before the movie came out produced by J.J. Abrams who while this was being filmed was fully involved with Star Wars The Force Awakens um, wow. yeah uh, it's called 10 Cloverfield Lane um, and one of the first things I want to discuss with you guys is what do you think about that title because it spoiler is not directly connected it is not directly connected, but, but I like the title because mm-hmm. it makes the whole time I'm wondering what the fuck is going on above ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the yeah. fact that the movie's right. called Cloverfield or has the word Cloverfield in the title should be a dead giveaway. But I still didn't right. trust it. It was, uh, um, you know, it's cool. So with the Cloverfield movies, and I'll talk about the first one a little bit later. Uh, the first one, Cloverfield, the the catchphrase was. No, the tagline was "Something has found us," uh, and it. And there was the Statue of Liberty decapitated on the poster, and you just—if you were as into it as I was—it was just like, "But okay, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what does that? It's so vague." And then with this one, the poster was the bunker, and it just said, "Monsters come in many forms." And again, I was like, "This is so exciting! The fuck does that mean?" The, yeah, I have no so idea. It. Um, the things that do connect it to the first one. Uh, would be genre, title, producer, marketing team, um, brands. Those are very big, the brands in this. Um, you get Kelvin Gas, which is a J.J. Abrams brand of gasoline. You get Slusho, which is uh, his, his Slusho or whatever. A Swamp Pop, which uh, is a soda pop that goes a little bit deeper. Um there's a couple. We'll talk about kind of the, the whole thing as, it, as we go through the... Um, the thing is with me is 
I was just excited to get back into that universe, mm-hmm. okay? I didn't care what kind of Cloverfield I was going to encounter, but what was interesting to me with this movie is that you go in, just like the first one, unknowing. You don't know right. what you're getting into. Right. So me and Dalen, even as they get to the window and stuff and they're looking outside, even after we see a poison person, we're still like, I don't know if there's even a monster out there. Right. Even though we're in a Cloverfield movie, we don't want right. to acknowledge that there might be a monster. Yeah. So that alone, I thought, was a feat for them. Right. Just because they kept me guessing. I just didn't know what I was in for. So that's always exciting. And the really cool thing, the exciting thing about this movie is that they don't make movies like this anymore, right? I mean, like, oh. um, there are so many trailers and stuff where it's like, okay, we know the beats of the movie. We know it's going to happen because that puts you in the seat to guarantee that there will be, a you know, um, a Spider-Man cameo in Civil War. Right, that's in all the trailers. You're gonna get people right. in the seats. This shows us so little, but it intrigues people. You know, it makes me want to see it more, and it's it's a gift. It adds a whole yeah. new level of mystery. Yes, that we haven't had in a film before. Like even that film, there's a lot of mysteries just in the film itself. But given the title Cloverfield, mm-hmm. it adds a whole new mystery that uh, you know we just, is, is wonderful. Um, right. Something I, I would love to address to you guys. My next note is John Goodman is so good, man. He is amazing in this. John this Goodman's character, like, he embodies. He's so good, man. He walks this line between, like, kind of socially awkward and completely creepily unsettling. And he vacillates like between the two so well. And he just – so there's this really wonderful scene, probably the best scene in the movie. Like, it's the scene that in in the world where he gets nominated for an Oscar for this, he wouldn't. But I would fucking give it to him. Oh, um, my God. Give it to him. Right. The scene that they're showing before they announce his name is is the name game scene or whatever mm. they're playing. Yeah. Where yeah. he's Santa and – but yeah. the weirdest thing is when he's guessing when he's – you know, they're going – they're describing the, the card as Michelle. Michelle. And he's going, little girl. Uh, princess. Uh, little lady And it's just like Oh man He's just It's that It's Is he really a fucking creep That he yeah. sees her as a little girl Or is he just And it keeps weird. you guessing The whole time Because he walks that line Is yeah. he like a, so, a psychopath Or is he just like The, the weird IT guy at work Because he's kind of Socially awkward And doesn't know How to handle yeah. these situations Or is he potentially dangerous Yeah And you don't know Right Right I'm just saying, yes, it's beautiful how he walks that line between, like, child pedophile or child. Like, you don't know where his mental right, state sure. is, and you don't know if he is um, dangerous to Michelle or not, you know? You but, don't know where he stands. And, but another thing that's that's kept in our minds throughout the movie is not only does he have the keys to all the bunker, um, but he also has a knife. On him at all times. He also has weapons throughout the bunker. He is... Another thing I wrote down that I just like, in terms of character balance, two uh, partially disabled people, and he's the only fully able-bodied person. He is, for the most part of this movie, in complete power. John Gallagher Jr.'s character has a broken arm, and for uh, the first at least half, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has a, has some, has a fucked up leg from a car crash. Mm-hmm. And so he is in power, and so that in and of itself is scary. Where is this guy at? We know he's not stable. Something? He sets his own hierarchy. Yes. Like he expects them to treat him with a certain amount of respect because he is the king of the castle here. He's the savior to that. We, like, exactly. Want to he has that really great monologue. He has this really great monologue about 
you guys think I'm silly, but, you know, they probably thought Noah was silly when he was building the ark before the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. I like that line. Yeah. Oh, my God. We need to talk about the writing because Joe just dropped salsa on his journey. Yeah, John Goodman also does his excellent dance at the jukebox where he bobs his ass up and down. And I think that oh, one Yes. Yeah. Loved it. I could we take a, just by a show of hands and we'll say on the, since this is an audio podcast we'll describe how many hands are being held up. How many people could fall asleep to the noise of John Goodman breathing? Oh, I mean it's like a lullaby. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, no. Yeah. I, that's a Griscoviac <laughs> brother thing. Sweat. I was wor- I, yeah. I just didn't know where that breathing was you going. Need to tell people what I, this. I was so it was a Griscoviac brother vote. Here's what it sounds like. I was convinced until she finally gets out of the bunker that he had just manufactured the entire situation. Yeah, Dalen really thought he was in charge of, like, everything. He was really calling all the shots. But I think those were real things that were happening in the bunker that they he needed help with, you know? What's really impressive is, um, you know, Cloverfield movies and, and Super 8, which is sort of, I think, an unofficial Cloverfield movie, if anybody, yeah, you know. I feel like this one has more connection to Super 8 than Cloverfield. Well, the Calvin gas station, the monster, I think, looks a little more similar. Yeah. Um, more of the extraterrestrial thing. You know, the funny thing is, um, Nick pointed out, because when we both saw this, I was texting him, and I said, uh, you know, why didn't they call it? It just sucks. They didn't call Super 8 Cloverfield something. And he's like, well, right, but yeah. Super 8 ties up all the loose ends. Like, Cloverfield, these movies, it's Always kind of open ended. It's a it's a different mm-hmm. feel too. Super Eight it's is like very much like an eighties Spielberg right. movie, True. like E. T. or Goonies or something, where it's like you got these group of kids and they go on this adventure. And the Cloverfield movies so far have been like, you know, these claustrophobic sort of thriller movies with a genre twist to them. I love the claustrophobic. Yeah, and that right. seems to be what these are. So I don't think Super Eight fits in at all with the Cloverfield brand. The Manufactured claustrophobia. Not at all, Joe. Not at all. I think they have they 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 touch on you know they got the aliens and they got like a genre twist to them, but they're entirely different films. Well, Cloverfield and Cloverfield Lane have similar themes and similar feels to them. And playing devil's advocate, and believe you guys, believe you me, I never want to side with my brother, but it's because we're siblings. Um, but like Alias also uses like Kelvin Gas. Slusho. So it's like, as much as like I could be like, oh, I could say like, there's a scene in the Kelvin gas station in Super 8. It's like, yeah, same thing on uh, Alias or some other failed J.J. Abrams show. You know, that's just a thing. The thing um, is, failed Alias ran for five seasons. If, if you take the branding out of it, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much I even relate this to Cloverfield at all. Because the Cloverfield went from the point of view camera shots, the whole thing, inter- so, interact with the, with the filming. And this is a whole new story, you know what I mean? Right. If it's it, the same universe, I, it barely felt that. It barely felt that. So, um, I think, I, well, so from what oh, I got, and I'll read about... I get that. We're going to go into the ARG in a minute here. Um, yeah. But, um, it, I, you know, I, I always assume that saying Cloverfield before the movie is like saying Twilight Zone Presents or Black Mirror blank. You know what I mean? Like, it's just to tell you, that, like you guys said, like, you're always wondering what's outside of the bunker. What if it is all in our head? But, okay, fuck, this movie's called Cloverfield. You know what right. I mean? If we were a third, it'll definitely 
be feeling that so much more. Yes. It'll be more of an attention and anticipation just pre like inputted into how you're gonna receive it. And from. that yes. was the great part for me is not knowing if John Goodman was the monster or if there was a real monster. Right. And as as the tagline says, it's like who is the real monster? You know, you don't know. Uh, it's such I, a good yeah. I was I so convinced it. that I, me too. Fucking John Gallagher yeah, Jr. Really? was the bad guy. Oh, really? Me too. Yeah. I, thought, I thought they were going to try to convince us that he was he was the bad guy, and then it turns out to be the other guy, and it was all kind of made up. I thought the same thing, that, that John Goodman maybe was more dim-witted than we thought he was, and John Gallagher Jr. was secretly pulling the strings behind the scene. That's what I thought in my first viewing. This being my second viewing, I really liked watching it and knowing what Emmett's arc was. Right. And getting to enjoy his character more and his conversations with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I enjoyed a lot more because I wasn't suspicious of him. Right. I wasn't right. like trying to figure out how he was trying to harm her in some way because I knew how that ended. Um, so I want to talk about the ARG, the alternate reality game, which is always a crucial part of the the J.J. Uh, Abrams verse. They would do stuff like this for Lost. Yeah. They did a shit ton of it for Cloverfield. Dalen Toza was like the fucking... Is it Robert Langdon? Is that the Da Vinci Code guy? Yeah. Yeah, Dalen was like the Robert Langdon of the Cloverfield universe on the first one. Like, he was like... I was on, I was on forums before forums were even a... <laughs> and we were like, Dalen, there's a website called Facebook. And he was like, were you on 1-1808.com? Like, <laughs> oh my God, that was the one. You remember that? You could flip the pictures. Yep. But people for the first movie, I remember 1-1808.com had pictures from a bunch of different stuff. And like people were like... Developing negatives of the pictures to see if there was hidden oh, images and there so were. And, oh my god, it's so interesting. That's the that, like, all of that weird, crazy shit was paid off. Oh yeah. The ARG for these movies is so intense that it like comes off on the surface level as insanity. To me, it did. This swamp pop bullshit. Oh you brought this swamp pop over. I don't know if you want to talk about this right now. Go for it. Because this is part Say of the that we have it physically, yeah. We have, we have swamp pop, okay? Which yeah, is from this movie. And Andy brought this over and told me this Nick is a... Fi- yeah, they, they say this is a fictional soda from the movie. And I am a skeptic, so I'm like, bullshit. And I look online, and I find the swamp pop website, and I'm like, this soda's been around forever. Like, I'm looking at the About Us, and I'm, like, ready to come onto this podcast and talk about how fucked up they are and how wrong they are about this soda. And then I Google, and then I Google Swamp Pop Cloverfield, and all these forums come up about how this is legitimately a brand created for the movie, and how they, like, started this website a year and a half ago, ahead of the movie, so they could be ahead of this and make it look like the soda's been around for a long time. And about how there are things on the website that point to Cloverfield that you wouldn't know to look for. Like, if you go to, like, you could order Swamp Pop online, and one of the options to order is a lifetime bunker supply of Swamp Pop. God! And, the in- and like, the inventory number is the number that John Goodman presses into the jukebox. Come on! Like, seriously, they try and make it look as legitimate as possible. So, me looking at the website, I'm going, oh, Andy and Nick are fucking wrong. It's just this real soda that shows up in the movie. And then I'm reading uh-huh. all the forums, and I'm like, oh, no. This is just, like, the most intense, elaborate hidden, I mean, like, <laughs> it's insanity how elaborate and hidden so, it is. So, here's some awesome. things that's really scary. First off, it basically kind of glows in the light. Uh, it has 46 grams of sugar in a bottle. I took the smallest yeah. sip. 
I took the smallest sip, and now I'm, I have diabetes. It was a cucumber <laughs> ginger ale. It is a delight. It's delicious, but it's it is so terrible for you. Um, but here's the thing: is the company was started. The page first showed up. People dated it back to 2013. Mm-hmm. The web page. And if you ask Dan Trachtenberg, there's a, anybody listening that's like a really big fan of this podcast. There's a phenomenal podcast called Clover Feels, where they oh, do. Okay. It's it's all well. They go through the. They are goofy. The two guys. Yeah. But they go yeah. through the ARG. They go through the ARG though diligently. They do all of it. Um, yeah. And so that's how I kind of the only ARG I did was that you could go to the Tagarato webpage. That's the big thank you, the big organization that um, runs all of the things in this universe. Um, they they manufacture slush slusho and paraffin paraffin wax. And They're all brands that were manufactured and given elaborate elaborate elaborate. Electronic footprints and backstories and all of this dating back to the first Cloverfield. It's right. delicious. First off, so I just tried Swamp Pop Setsuma Fizz. It's the orange flavor. Delightful. Yeah, tasting like incognito marketing. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sold your heart. I know they no, did, and I'm so excited. So, um, if you go to the Tagarato website, you could get links to there. So it's really interesting because. Uh, actually, I drew a little chart in here in my notes. Tagarato, the three brands that they um, they advertise are Slusho, which is snacks, treats. Uh, another mindfuck thing. The catchphrase for Slusho has always been, you can't have just six. And the catchphrase for Swamp Pop, you can't have just four. I mean, it's insane. Right. Um, because, I'm, like, seriously, on a surface level, these all come off as real brands. Right. Yes. It's it's the craziest thing I've ever seen because it's all like Easter egg shit. You got to dig around to find out that these are related to a movie. The amount of internet content, and I haven't touched anything for this film. That I I'm worried that I might start. But, so but the I amount mean, of content that was available on the on the internet when Cloverfield first came out for all of this shit was mind blowing. But these are like legitimate brands, en- enough so that you know that there are people in Middle America drinking Swamp Pop and not having any fucking clue that it's related to a movie. Yeah, they're the same people. The same people getting their limbs sawed off for diabetes. You guys, it tastes like pure sugar. It's delightful, but I'm just saying I go feel my teeth getting loose. Um, so, anyways, uh, Tagruato also uh, advertises Yoshida. That's their deep sea excavation brand, so that they can get the deep sea bed nectar that goes into Slush Show because they make logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the company that supposedly woke up the Cloverfield monster. Yeah. And then um, Bolt Utura, which is satellites. That's what supposedly woke up whatever attracted these guys to our planet. Um, we'll talk. Oh, really? Um, this, the story and the backstory goes so far beyond the film itself. It's insane. If you go on to the Tagruato website, you could link to a Bolt Futura website. If you look at the employee of the month, you get to see Walter, who is uh, John Goodman's character. You go to his personal website. Howard. There's a secret... Is it Howard? Yeah, it was Howard. Oh, why did I think Walter? Howard. I like the name Walter. It's John Goodman looks like a Walter. Um, so, you go to Howard's website... There's a secret link on there that takes you to a website that's, like, called Just for Megan. And on there, there's, like, 16 pictures. And if you click one of the pictures, a question comes up and says, what's your favorite movie? You answer 16 candles, I think. Yeah, 16. Is that the movie yeah. you're watching? Yeah. The 16 candles. Pretty in pink. Pretty in pink. You asshole. 
No, oh, it was 16 Candles. Come on, Andy. No, Emmett comes in and says, are you watching 16 Candles? He goes, no, I'm watching Pretty in Pink. Oh. Um, so you put in the, her favorite movie, Pretty in Pink. Then it takes you to a diatribe website where he is – it's a secret website where he Howard is writing instructions for the apocalypse uh, to this person. What you have to pack in a bag, how to get to the bunker. Even if he's not there, here's instructions to live in it all to Megan. Um so that's the extent. That's all I did. My God. That's all I did. Um, I did it. If it's any consolation, and we never find out who Megan is. Correct. His daughter. I mean, Megan's his daughter. Yeah. Well, we're let. Is it her? His daughter. Well, as far as I, I understand it, Megan is his daughter, and he. We're led to believe he may have, and probably did, kidnap a local high school girl and force her to live as a surrogate Megan in his bunker. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is Megan actually just a local girl? I don't know because... Is she completely fictional? I don't know. I think she's just... The way I read it was that he had a daughter that left him... And then he like replaced her with this right, girl. Isn't there also a picture of Megan with I don't, a shirt on? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Wait, but that's the way Megan I understood with a shirt on. I feel like it's more of it's not his daughter. It was a girl that he was obsessed with. And this all happened out of. Because correct me if I'm wrong. The girl he kidnapped is named Brittany. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. He says something like the, the um, Emmett. Emmett's the one that figures it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So something I'd like to address too before we take a breather is uh, oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. There is just there's so much. Yeah. There's, it, this was a wild film. So something and we, that, and we haven't even gotten to the ending yet. Right. But I'm sure we're we'll going to in the second. <laughs> so second half I do because oh, that's what, was ending. Joe, I was telling Dalen this isn't over. Right. This isn't over. No. This so we will get into the heavy ending. On the second half, that gives, like, uh, that's, that's like, we're gonna, it all comes unraveled. Um, something I want to talk about, though, before we go to the break, some really weird symbolism that, that, um, fucked with me. There's a a couple of, um, reoccurring images and themes in the, um, in the bunker. Um, uh, one is France, which my belief is that some girl was, the girl he fancied, like, France a little bit, uh, and so he tried to make it homey. Um, I know Joe had some thoughts. I my note was I I wrote down since when is liking France a character trait? Uh-oh. It's just like, but I mean it was fine, but that was literally Megan's only characteristic is that she likes France. <laughs> and it's like everything she everything was like an Eiffel Tower, and every T-shirt she wore had like Je t'aime Paris on it, and it's just like that's her whole character. She likes France. Well, you say that's what John Goodman was obsessed with. Yeah. Um. So um. There's some symbolism. Oh, probably. There's some symbolism, and I can't get this of uh, goldfish. There are here. I got four instances. So goldfish. When we first meet Emmett, sour too, right? So yes. Oh my god. No, that's a duck. Wait, that's a duck. There's a duck on the. So but listen, listen. Um, we first meet Emmett. He's eating goldfish. When he's bored and sitting in his sleeping area, he's taping pictures of goldfish to the wall. There's a fish tank in the bunker full of goldfish, and there are goldfish seen on the puzzle. Um, yeah, but that might have to do with the clover field, like deep sea diving, I'm sure. and all that. But here's the thing. Here's what I wanted to talk about: is that catfish puzzle. So uh, there's a puzzle about halfway through the movie that they're doing. Um, it's a cat with a snorkel and a fish tank, and Emmett goes, "Oh, it's a catfish." Uh, and a couple of things that really kind of sent chills down my spine. Excuse me. First off. Um, the metaphor uh, of the, I think the image itself It's First off It's some ba- something That's trapped 
the puzzle's unfinished, missing pieces. That that's a very Cloverfield idea. Pieces to a puzzle, right? Um, another thing is catfish the online term. Somebody not being who they seem, uh, and and it's just a lot of questioning. But the most chilling thing to me was the fact that they were missing pieces to the puzzle uh, and it frustrated Emmett and frustrated Michelle because that's all they had to do. But it implied that the puzzle had been done before, which just freaks me the fuck out because you picture that girl from the picture doing the puzzle with John Goodman before or something or, or him getting mad at her and throwing the puzzle or whatever. And so there are so many things around this apartment. Apartment. But this little two-bedroom I they had... It's, it's bigger than the apartment you live in. I swear to God. This, this bunker is nicer than your apartment. I would get. I would be John Goodman's wife to live in that bunker. I don't care, dude. That's You'd sit around in the Je Temperie and just be like, I want to see the Eiffel Tower. You'd be like, you don't fit in that shirt, idiot. You'd be like, you'd be like it's better than paying rent. <laughs> and he... Oh, no, I was going to say a big spoiler. Um, so, yeah. First round thoughts. Round one. Uh... uh I really fucking dig this movie. We're going to compare it to the first one a little more in the second half. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's fair to call it the first one. First one what? These aren't like a series. I mean, they're not like a sequel. It's not a sequel. Well, yeah, but it's, I think of it in the same way. I'm a huge fan of the anthology horror of Black Mirror. And like yeah. I compare those episodes. Now, there's, I mean, there's little threads that's like, oh, they're tied together. But... Um, like I, I don't know. I, I look at them like comparing installments in an anthology. Dale, you got some thoughts about just the film being incredibly suspenseful, like in a way that really doesn't, like Nick was saying, kind of lacks now in most movies. It's, yeah. I don't know. It just held a really nice tension the whole way through. You really don't know what to think. Yeah. Have when, you, even when everything hits the fan, you, you're still left completely <laughs> guessing what's happening next. Have you guys seen uh, Whiplash? Yeah. Whiplash was yeah, my favorite. That, like that same kind of steady tension. Well, rewrites were done by Damien Chazelle, yeah. who wrote oh, and directed Whiplash. Yeah. Um, nice. So I just thought in terms of like the anxiety that's injected, of course, this is a completely different movie, but there's a lot of similar sort of um, idea, not ideas, but um, anxieties in it. Um we're, as long as we're comparing this to other movies, I would say, um, if anybody's seen the movie Green Room recently, R.I.P. Oh, Anton Yelchin. Anton Yelchin, Dalen. Anton Yelchin, gone too soon, but the movie Green Room is another one of those that's, like, very self-contained, mostly in one room, super suspenseful. And the problem I had with that movie is that I felt like the characterization was really weak. Like, I really didn't feel like I knew a lot of the characters very well, and I right. think that's something this movie does excellently. Yeah. Right. Through so none of, them, none of them like Paris or anything like that? You know what? There was not one single character who was really into Paris. And that so could I have just, helped. If one of them liked a certain city in the world yeah. and wore that t-shirt all the time, <laughs> I feel like I'd connect with that character. Oh, my God damn. Well, we're going to take a breather. Uh, we'll be back soon. me, Nick. Uh, welcome to the halfway point of this podcast. Um, as you may have heard by now, the setup for this podcast is a little bit different. Um, I'm here in Los Angeles, California with my good friend Andy Griskoviak and his brother Joe. Um, I had to travel 2,000 and 500 miles to get here, and I want to tell you guys all a quick story 
about my travels. Can we put like um like a theme music in that that at that point? Yeah, I'll figure something. All right, yeah, just do that. So I get on the road and I'm taking Route 66 all the way over here, like a true matador, and I'm on the road and I'm going all the way. Will it? Keep going. Sorry. Nick! We understand it's emotional. You can you can take a yeah, break if you no, need sorry. to. Like, it was just, it was really scary. So I'm going all the way through Illinois. I'm driving for like a few hours, I feel like. It felt like a few hours. Been there. And then I have to stop to fill up gas. And so thirty-two fifty was what I paid for gas. And wow. so I get back on the road. I'm driving for a few more hours, and then I'm getting, like, tired. So I'm like, well, I should fill up one more time before I go to bed. And so I go to the gas station, and this time it's, like, 23 bucks. Okay. I don't know what my reaction is supposed to be at these numbers. And then I go to bed. <laughs> I get back in the car, and I'm, I, I put my, my foot to the pedal. And the pedal to the metal, and I'm driving. <laughs> and then I'm driving, I think, for like, I'm gonna say eight hours this time. And uh, then I, I finally pull over again for gas. And it was, it was cheaper, so it was like 26 bucks to fill up, and that was crazy. And then I'm driving. And I, I go, I'm, I'd stop at the Grand Canyon, and then it's 24 bucks for gas. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm here in L.A., and uh, that is the story of my travels. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, we won't add this. No, yes we will, yes we will. What's coming up next? What can people expect from Nick next? Um... Next, we're next time we'll talk about my travels from Los Angeles to Chicago. Yeah. Do your impression of a Chicago cop. All right, this is my character. I, I auditioned for Chicago Justice, and this is my this is my character for uh, uh, Chicago Justice as a Chicago cop. His name uh, is is uh, Richard. Uh, Richard Bear. Hey, uh, gonna have to give you a ticket. You shouldn't be parking there. It's a traffic cop. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a parking. <laughs> that was good. He's like a meter. <laughs> you guys like that? Dick Bear. Do you think I got the? Think I'll get the part? <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be a play on Dick Wolf. Yeah. Welcome back to part two. We can have a niche audience who could take some liberties. <laughs> so I want to hop into part two by uh, by comparing. Uh, both uh, critically and financially, the first uh, Cloverfield movie and 10 Cloverfield Lane. All right. So, uh, first Cloverfield, 
You guys, I, I want to know kind of consensus on the ratings too. What do you guys think? Agree or disagree? Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the first Cloverfield, seventy-seven uh, percent. Wow, um, that seems that's accurate. Cool. Really? To me, that seems accurate. Ten Cloverfield. C. Yeah. All right. We, we can go into this later. Tell me what Ten mm-hmm. Cloverfield got. Ten Cloverfield land on Rotten Tomatoes, ninety percent. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree with these ratings. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! You guys like That's the first, gross. the first one, the shaky cam one better than no, this one? No, That's what I'm saying. But I, I don't think 77 though. Did your only point the shaky cam? It just didn't come together as cohesively as this one did for me. There is such a clear oh. arc in this one, and the Cloverfield movie—it's like you have the guy filming the movie and the other guy right. looking for his girlfriend. Uh, and it's not supposed to be super. Like that's not like a that's a found footage story. I know, and it's like that's why it wasn't as engaging for me as this one was. Sure. I just uh, think seventy-seven is low. That's one of my favorite movies. Way too low. Budget. And I- too high, in my opinion. Maybe. Budget on Cloverfield 1? What? Nothing. You what is the budget on the first Cloverfield? Uh, $25 million. This one has to be at least half that. Uh, the 10 Cloverfield Lane budget, $15 million. Good shit. Good shit, Joe. Box office, Cloverfield, $170.8 million. Well, I don't know if this one did as well. 10 Clover Lane, 108.3. So this one did lower. However, upon further research, the original Cloverfield um, uh, was released 1.1808. This one, 3.11.16. The first one opened against just award season movies. So it was probably one of the only mainstream quality movies released. Everything else was just like, you know, January gives a shit. Um, and award season movies. So there was a lot less it was competing against. Uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane opened up next, right after Zootopia and Deadpool. Ooh. So, so putting both these movies into perspective, uh, we do some really cool themes in this film. Uh, honesty, trust, following through with your plans, growth, uh, intervention. I think it's interesting how the movie, um, in a weird way, comes full circle. I just noticed that her time in the bunker begins and ends with a, uh, a vent flame or a vent fire. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you very much for listening to Proven. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> More so, her story goes full circle in the fact that it begins with her running away and ends with her running toward a problem. Yes. Yeah, she, they, they, there's a lot of really great kind of backstory monologues. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and that beginning scene, that word, that, like, she doesn't say a word Word in that opening before the car accident. She doesn't say anything at the and end. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's completely wordless. Yeah, yeah I thought that was awesome. Um, I also think that there's a there's shots of John Goodman when he first appears that it's like only parts of his body and stuff. Yeah, and you don't see his face. And he's, he's got a here. lot of body parts. But at the time, he was a lot more body than he is now. John Goodman. I think this is a segment we're gonna call. John Goodman lost a lot of weight. When when was this movie shot? It was filmed a long time ago, right? Mid last year, mid mid twenty fifteen, I believe. Oh really? Uh, and he's very thin now. All right, and that was John Goodman lost a lot of weight. I wrote <laughs> I wrote in my notes, John Gallagher is so good, man. 
because I was calling back to that joke I wrote, John Goodman is so good, man. So you gotta use it again. <laughs> you gotta get it in as many times as you can. That joke is gold. Um, joke. I loved it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so, the whole movie, we're gonna talk about the ending now. The whole movie, you're asking yourself, is he a kidnapper? Like, is he this crazy person who's a kidnapper, a skeptic, or is something legitimately happening? And do you guys want to share which one it is? It's kind of both. It's got to be both. It absolutely is. So it's this this twist double down. And we'll go into what exactly is happening. But I have heard, and I want to hear everybody's opinion, many people who hated that. I saw this film in the theaters at the Arclight in Hollywood. My former boss was in the theater. Her boyfriend pointed at me and said, that's the kid you fired. Um, regardless, so. at the end of the film, I ran into her in the lobby and said, what do you think? And she was like, I hated the ending. Hated the ending. And I was like, I don't understand that. I don't understand their reaction. But a lot of people have that reaction. Yeah. I'll I say the same way, Joe. Adam, indulge us. What it, Adam, you didn't like it. Adam, what was your reaction the moment Mary Elizabeth Winston got out of the bunker? I couldn't believe that it was ending. It, it just felt so unfinished to me. I had, I just, you there was no solutions at all. I was left alone. But I feel like there was, because she's in the bunker and you get little tidbits. You get, she thinks she hears a car above her. Uh-huh. Or, you know, this crazy woman comes and goes, oh, it only touched me a little, and then dies under mysterious circumstances. And then you get to see what's actually going on outside, and all that shit starts to make a bit of sense. Right. Truth. And she has a story, arc, like you mentioned before. She goes, she comes from, she's running away at first, and then at the end she's going towards something, and she's going towards a cause. Yeah. For me, it made sense, and it could have been played out either way. It could have been she comes out of the bunker and there's nothing going on, or she comes out of the bunker and there is something going on, and it's kind of, like, regardless, I feel like I was satisfied by the end. And it did take me aback when I saw it, but ultimately, I enjoyed it. For me, I went into Cloverfield going, all right, I want, I, it's a Cloverfield movie, I want some sort of sci-fi stuff. And for most of the movie, I was going, all right, when's, when are we going to do Alien? When are we going to do Monster? But then at one point, I finally became satisfied with what the movie was. And I was like, okay, it's just a movie about John Goodman being a sort of different monster. And so then when the last ten minutes of the film is, I finally get that thing that I initially came into the movie for, I was very satisfied that I kind of got both. Yeah. I see Adam shaking his head, though. I want to hear what Adam has to say. And I swear to God, if it has to do with skateboarding, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm sorry. (laughs) It doesn't. No, I, I don't have much to say, honestly. I was just... I was, uh, I just wish there was more explanation. I mean, I, the thing is, I'm not, I don't know what the monster was. I don't know. You know, do you need to? Dark in this movie. I think that's what I don't like. It's just how in the dark you are about what is actually happening. He kind of, I I really enjoy the interpersonal stuff that was happening in the bunker, I loved all that. The yeah. human connection and distrust and all that, loved it. Um, once she left the bunker, I got extremely confused. And 
I just yeah, I felt like the ending wasn't wasn't up to my my Cloverfield standards. I, I suppose. Really, but I guess do you need to know any? Do you really need to know anything more than this is an alien invasion? I, I, I mean, like, not, I, under, I, I understand I understand what you're saying in that, like, she steps into this world that has so many new rules and is so vast and could be a movie all its own, but it's not, and I don't think that's a problem. That's the way I sure. read it. Sure. No, I completely understand that. I'm going to, I got a question. Adam. Let's would you have been more satisfied if that if the turning point in the last ten minutes was the midpoint of the movie? Like See, if, I mean, the thing is, that's a whole different more, movie. More, yeah, uh, more alien. Right. Yeah, exactly. It been more on a, a Cloverfield One adventure kind of thing. Okay. Uh, which is what I would have signed up for, but it, it like honestly, I haven't had the chance to to, to digest this a second right. time. Fair. Uh, fair. But I do. You know what? I, I enjoy the journey we went on with them. I do, I mean, it was so suspenseful. It was great. Yes. Um. I just wish I had a little bit more, either epilogue or explanation. I wish yeah. I just had a little bit more sure. to grab on. I totally agree. Um. Not. I love the movie, but I, I get what you're saying, and I and I respect it because this is an open forum. <laughs> um. Dalen. Hey, Dalen. <laughs> Where are you at? No, oh, I thought it was cool. Like, I enjoyed that there wasn't going to be a definitive answer whether or not, like, it was either him, like, John Goodman was the problem, or that there really was something else going on. And that whole last, like, 15, 20 minutes, they really played with that idea because it seems like every step that she takes into realizing that there is something going on like validates all of John Goodman's craziness. And I like how that like how uncomfortable that is. And then once she like gets into that little barn and sees that dead body again, it's like, oh, it's all fucked. Like you just have to get out of there no matter what like what's happening outside, you just have to leave the bunker. And I, I like the idea, this theme of of problems and of of conflict in your life and running from it. And even if you escape one conflict, you're not going to escape. So even though she escapes her boyfriend, she crosses paths with John Goodman. Even though she eventually escapes John Goodman after the thick of the movie, she has to confront this alien dog monster. Even after she escapes the dog monster, she's going to confront an alien ship. And then finally, in the end, she goes, you know what? I'm going to face my problems going head on. Where did the dog monster go? Uh, it chased after her. It wait, got the mask. It ran away left. when the, the ship came. She went to the house. And the ship blew like the foghorn. And so and the, the dog the ran away. The, the, what Why is she making that Molotov cocktail so quickly? Because she's skilled. She whipped that thing together quick. But she made the hook in the beginning very quick. And she made the suit. She's resourceful. She I forgive. So Listen. There's so much. Go watch. I love Cloverfield One so much. You guys know it's like my second child. My top I, three favorite movies. I guess my sure. first child is like Ten Cloverfield Lane. But um, it, there are there are problems. Like there are why why is nobody going? You can't go in the city. Why is the army like? It's for love, Rob. Go yeah. go get her. 
You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things. So then over time, as we watch these movies together, it's going to be like, yeah, this is just kind of what it is. It is what it is. And this character is very resourceful. Um, was something, something I didn't catch in the first one, the gas that they're blowing down is flammable. Right. That's why the ship blows up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're an idiot, man. Wait, wait, wait. What was that again? I didn't catch that when they were blowing the gas down and the, there's flaming pieces from the bunker that exploded, and those flaming pieces ignite the gas, like in little poofs oh, of smoke. Oh, yes, so when she yes. throws the Molotov cocktail, it's not just a bottle of liquor. The first time I saw it, I was like, that's a little weird that a bottle of liquor does that to a ship. It's that it's full of this gas, this flammable gas that explodes. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, that's a lot more exciting. Um, For sure. I, yeah, I just thought this one was such a nice, it was such a cool twist on science fiction. And the first Cloverfield makes it claustrophobic because it takes this wide cityscape and puts it through the hole of a video camera. And all you're seeing of this cataclysmic event is a video camera. And this one, too. All you're seeing of this insane thing that's going on. I mean, you know, you got a picture. All these people being gassed or, or mauled to death by these monsters. They are that we don't see that we see three people's reactions to it, two of whom don't completely know what's going on. Right. So I love the claustrophobia of it. I love I love the idea of it. Um, so Nick wrote down on this piece of paper. Third question mark. Um, I've read on a lot of online forums. I'm on the forums um, where people said they want the third to be more of her story. I don't. I mean, I think we're done here. It would make sense for the first so movie to be called to Clover. No, we never will. There won't be a direct sequel. I think we're done here. I think the next film in the Cloverfield saga is going to be another movie about a group of people existing in some sort of weird claustrophobic circumstance with a genre twist. Well, and dealing with something very personal. So something that the, the first movie... Yes, it's about a giant monster attacking New York, but it's also about a guy who's moving on in his life and is trying to tie up some loose ends, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, proclaim his love to this girl before he leaves and, and doesn't want to fuck up. But also, oh, my God, there's a giant monster. This, yeah, there's, in the end, we learn the whole time it was a monster movie, but it's about a girl taking charge who's been controlled by men and is being controlled by a man. And, you know, he's going he's gonna to now finally take charge of her life. So, yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be a movie... A thick theme like that, you know, that that is very, you know, humanistic and everything, but then also a supernatural twist. If you want an explanation for why the first movie is called Cloverfield, if this character goes and saves the day and becomes the girl from 10 Cloverfield Lane, then the entire incident becomes about this, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane girl who saves the day, and that's why it's called Cloverfield. This whole event was this Cloverfield event. So, so she could become a, a big part, but maybe not the next movie. So the I have real, absolutely no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I got it. I was following. I was following. No way that that's tying in. No, but the real reason. No, yeah. I, 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 honestly, I wouldn't want it to, no. but I'm just I'm saying that's an explanation that could happen. The real reason. I just did a cool, oh, this was a video podcast. I just did such a cool pen flip. <laughs> um, I, the real reason is for because. The listeners, for the listeners. It was okay. Um, uh, The real reason is the bad robot offices, I think, were or are on Cloverfield Drive in California, in Los Angeles. Um, In the first one, I had heard rumors that the the made-up answer was 
Central Park looked like a like because the monster had like a four pronged foot, and so just the way it stomped all over Central Park looked like a field of clovers. Uh, and then this one, obviously, it's the street. Listen, make up what I love it. I love that they don't give a direct um, answer. I love. Oh, I was talking to Nick about this yesterday. I love when a movie is kind of like connect the dots. You could figure it out. They never were like, and here's what happened to Megan. And here's what, you know, and I, it, like, it, it, it was just kind of like, you could connect these dots. We're telling one through line story. Uh, uh, Michelle and Megan, their stories cross paths. And, and Brittany, I think her name was. They'll cross paths, but they, they, you're not going to learn the conclusions because it's not going to be spoon-fed to you. So what's the claustrophobic yeah. twist that we would like to see in the third movie? They are. It's a honey. I shrunk the kids, and they're they're literally bottled. They're in a, bo- a coke bottle. They're in a glass coke bottle. Just just honey. I shrunk the kids again. Remastered. What would be how you fit in Cloverfield in the title? Honey, Cloverfield. The kids. <laughs> honey, Cloverfield. The kids. Um, no, there's a bunch of stuff you could do it, and I hope. The weird thing is, these were released nine years apart, eight years apart, and so been that long. It's yeah, oh eight and twenty sixteen. So somewhere, maybe someone's writing a sequel, but also it might not be another five years till a website pops up for a movie three years later, which is so exciting. That's such an exciting concept. That's full of caps. I just took a sip of a beer bottle that's full of caps. Was it good though? Yeah. Tastes like pennies. So, what were you gonna say? Because I I feel like we're wrapping up here. Mm Mhm. I just want to add some final thoughts on my end. Yes. Uh, this movie, my first time around, and less so my second time around, but mostly my first time around, truly terrified me. Like it's a truly, very suspenseful, truly horrifying movie to me at times. Some of the more horrifying moments, uh, seeing a clean-shaven John Goodman. Yeah! <laughs> uh, and also... That was an eye-opener. Anything oh. having to do with the barrel full of acid. Oh! I don't know why we're standing oh so close to it. God. I don't know what... I, like, if the guy I'm living with in a bunker brings out a barrel of acid, I'm standing in the other room. And he's dropping yeah. the scissors, and it's like... Gone! Oh, I my mean, God. And the whole time... You think he's gonna? I thought he was gonna fucking grab the dude by the head and be like, Shh. "No!" Oh pulls out God. a gun. Oh. It's like, why are we standing so close to this? It was awesome. Yeah, so, was- all right. Um, the other note I wanted to bring up: Did this movie remind anybody else of the movie Psycho? I think, I think so. it did. Oh. I think it did both times I watched it. Because Psycho kind of begins with Meredith Crane. That, that's her name, right? She, she's. I think it's Meredith. Yeah. She takes all that money and then she's like on the run and driving and like running away. And I connected that image of her, like, driving and running away with Mary Elizabeth Winstead driving and running away. That and then move. she, like, she she more voluntarily than Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she voluntarily and comes to the Bates Motel, but well, still comes into a place with a man that puts her in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Exactly. The movie reminded me of Psycho. I never, like put, I never put those two together, but I really like that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's another note I wrote down is that this movie, especially the second time around, that beginning with her driving and then her ending up with John Goodman and you're not sure what you think about him, reminded me a lot of Psycho. Though, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, 
Let's do final thoughts. Let's go around. Everybody say uh, uh, your, your impression of what you've drank. And obviously the movie. Um, oh, really quick. Let's talk about Dan Trachtenberg. Nick wanted to talk about Dan Trachtenberg, the director. When it was announced, when the first trailer came out, it was like directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who at the time only had one thing to his name, and that was a short film called Portal, No Escape. Yeah. So, Nick, you want to talk about that? No, he's just, I mean, I just think he's a great director. And that's it. I mean, I, I don't know. All right, <laughs> that's fair. It shows a lot the of potential. Sh- the short portal is really is the you know is really great. He's a big video game guy, which I love. He's, for all you geeks out there, you know he's he's one of you. You're safe with him. He, cares. he will guide you. Um, well, cool. I think um, this is the first in many. Strong accomplishments uh, for Dan Trachtenberg. I will, I will definitely see that whatever follow up he does, be it Cloverfield based or be it uh, elsewhere. Um, so yeah, let's. You had a thought. I think for me personally, next to uh, Zootopia, this is probably my favorite movie of the year. This and Zootopia pretty much stand out. It, it was just like a wild ride. Uh-huh. I love Zootopia. From the moment the trailer came out to um, me seeing this movie in the theater and then even watching it again right here, it was just... It's such a wild ride from beginning to end. It's ne- ne- next, to, next to the animated racist allegory Zootopia, uh, it's probably my favorite movie of the year. Dope. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I'm eating a chip right now. I agree. I thought it was really awesome. I really enjoyed like how much kind of tension and energy went into it. It yeah. was really enjoyable to watch. It was super fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Adam? Yeah, the, the thing with this is, if if nothing else, it, it really provided that Cloverfield curiosity. Like, you did yes. not know what you were stepping into. Right. And that's what I love. When J.J. Abrams really takes on uh, a, a, a film like this where he could he is the puppet master and he gets to play all of his games right uh, and and we just don't know what we're getting into you know uh, I really enjoyed it but overall I want to just say John Goodman in this his performance was phenomenal yeah. I really loved him in this um, yeah. that character was just it yeah made my skin crawl I loved it I loved everything about it uh, really good film really Perfect. great film um, Nicholas um, I love this movie. It's a really fun movie. Uh, I think that we've explained all of what's great about it tonight, and there's just so much more to it. There's so many fun twists and turns, and you never, you just keep going back and forth with who you trust and who you don't, and and how do you trust someone? And and it's just so much yeah. fun. It's such a ride. I mean, there's there has not been a film that has been such an ups and Downsy roller coaster than this film. That was a really good way to put it. Um, Ups and downsy. Yeah. Ups and downsy roller coaster. Yeah, everyone agrees. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, I loved it. I thought it was it was so much fun. I wish movies took as many liberties as the Cloverfield movies. Um, it is. It's full of suspense and weird, uncomfortable laughter, and uh, I loved it. I would I would recommend it to anybody. Um. So let's go around. Does anybody have um, any movie, video game, TV, book, graphic novel that they want to recommend right now? Um, I'll start. Nick and I saw a documentary last night called Tickled. Um, it was fucking amazing. It's about competitive tickling. You would think like, oh, it's like this stupid. It is the scariest documentary I've ever seen. It is <laughs> nonstop anxiety. It has. Oh, it, my gosh. It might be one of the twistiest movies 
ever. I have to look into this. Guys. Lots of ups and downsies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also very ups and downsies. Ups and downsies roller coaster. Yeah. Um, I'll begin my recommendations section by letting you know that I was wrong about the character's name from Psycho. It was Marion Crane and not Meredith mm, Crane. That's okay. Oh, for- uh, also, I would not recommend the Riverdale pilot. Uh, <laughs> we watched the pilot for this, the upcoming CW series Riverdale. And it was good. Night, based on the Archie comic books, like the Archie, Betty, and Veronica. And I want to say it's based uh, off Archie, though. It was, it, was, it was like Archie meets Twin Peaks with a healthy dash of Gossip Girl, and it was like... No, oh, that sounds great. What exactly. Like, exactly. Josie and the Pussycats were in it, and they were great. But like, <laughs> Archie was some like young fucking redhead douchebag. I hate. Archie him. sucked. No. Okay. Yeah. It was it was a dumb pilot, so I would not recommend that. But uh, I'm reading a book right now called A Darker Shade of Magic by V. E. Schwab. It's a uh, fantasy book, and it's pretty goddamn good. So I'd recommend that. Dalen. NBA Summer League starts like July 3rd or something. And that is the best. It's not quite NBA players playing in gyms with nobody watching. All you have to do is have premium cable to watch. Nice. Nice. You get any any street ball players in there? Uh, Not quite. Like point guards from Dartmouth that will never make the NBA. Oh, cool. But it gives them a taste of it. Yeah, it's very fun. My favorite player is Armando Roynond. <laughs> Nick, who's your favorite player? <laughs> I got. I'll, I'll make one up too. <laughs> no, your real favorite player. <laughs> Nick, let's hear it. Adam, have one ready. Mine's uh, Tresavario Cryptix. Great, Nick. Mine's Gregory Proops. <laughs> real person. <laughs> Yeah, famous yeah. improviser. Uh, Adam, yours? Uh, Jamal Smoothie <laughs> stuff. Adam's player sounded very black. <laughs> <laughs> um, Glad, you got any recommendations? Yeah, I would say go ahead and download uh, Chance 3 Coloring Book. A really great album. Love Chance the Rapper. Uh, I've been listening to it all, all summer so far. It's a cool Chicago jam. I would definitely recommend it. Awesome. So right now we've got a, we've got an album, a prime a premium cable sport, a book, and a film. Nick, yeah, like a graphic novel, video game. Oh, you bet I do. Um, there's two things I would I would love to recommend. One is a graphic novel called Blankets by Craig Thompson. One of my all-time favorite. I love it so much. I've read it. Uh, I reread it again just the other day, uh, and I, I still love it. And it's wonderful. And anyone who hasn't read it should read it. Okay. Also, okay. there's an ongoing series by Nick Spencer called Morning Glories that I'm reading, cool. and it's absolutely delightful. And also, a Where third thing. Find that? Uh, I mean, it's a comic, I mean, it's a, you can go to your comic book shop and they have, um, ongoing, I have a whole compendium of it and I can give it to you if you want. Thanks, Nick. Um, but as far as, I know Joe said Archie and I will want to say, I do want to say this, there's a really great Archie series called, um, oh, what is it called? It's Archie Archie Afterlife. Afterlife, yeah. And that's really delightful and it sort of reminded me of, uh, the, the pilot that we watched And also It's my favorite artist Of all time uh, Does the art for it um, Pablo Picasso Yeah 
It's like Loves really Picasso. It's like really good artwork. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Picasso and Archie. Fucking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird self-portrait. All right, everybody. I think that was a good episode, and this is an appropriate place to end it. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's going to be a little wonky here with me living out of state, so we're going to be doing it over Skype for a while now, but I think this is a good little trial run. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for letting us stay in your place and, and uh, record. Thank you, Joe. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hear you guys. We'll hear you guys. You, you guys can hear us <laughs> next time. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll see you at the movies. Maybe some Mike and Ike's. Bye.